Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us affirm the resurrection of the power of life in our body. Let the resurrection of life reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us stand and sing together. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all of the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of freers, depressions, destruction, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so, Stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present their service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The topic that Brother Arkady had given to his word is called to perfection. Before we talk, I would like to give a sincere thanks to God for the great opportunity and the privilege to see all of you in this place and also to express gratitude to God for that person whom he has established in this church, in our, in our church, so that during this tumultuous time, he comforted our, our, souls, our souls, our hearts, with that revelation that he had received from God. In this unique opportunity in which he saw the event of the end days, where we were called to sanctify ourselves, unique in a unique manner, with a kind of sanctification the Church has not known yet. Elijah, the Church was not familiar, and he, in a unique way, had seen in this sign of the end days, in which people, a category of Elijah, that are called to be raptured, must isolate themselves, go to the brook Cherith in order to there, the raven, could feed him morning and night and evening. For what? So that the Cherith Brook could be fully drinking from by Elijah. This is a unique thing that Pastor had said on Sunday, that he has placed Elijah at the Cherith Brook, the brook of death where he fed him meat 
through the ravens and bread so that he can dry up the brook for himself and he can bear Methuselah. And of course, we had this great opportunity throughout this whole time to feed, to feed from this bread and this meat that he had brought to us. We could not hear this word here, but we saw it through our television sets. I would like to tell you a testimony of our family that we had no tragedy or no losses in hearing the word of God because scripture says he who has to him it will be given but he who does not have he will be taken it will taken from him that which he was called to have let's read what is necessary for us to have so that it can be given to us and so called to perfection This is a promised commandment, and it's written in Matthew, and it is presented to us in the series of sermons our Pastor Arkady. It is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. This is the whole secret. He who has to him it will be given. He who has discipleship to him will be given. But he who does not have the quality of a disciple, he will be ta- it will be taken from him all that which he thinks he will have. And the sign by which we must judge of our partaking to the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Colossians chapter three verses fourteen through fifteen. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition, if we are clothed in the selective love of God. The selective love of God presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues through the preached word of the apostles and prophets. And this is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And we know that each individual virtue or the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. And these virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God, given through us through Christ, which we are called to be clothed in. These seven qualities or seven virtues, these qualities belong to God, and we must become enriched by them through Christ Jesus. And we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, and the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And by inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. So these characters, virtue, self-control, patience, brotherly love, so forth, this is all so that we can have the perfection of our Heavenly Father. The selective love of God expressed in the seven dignities and characteristics of the selective love of God has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. 
And apart from the selfish love of man, the selective love of God differs in that it is given the zeal of God, His omnipotence and His absolute wisdom, which is impossible to use in the selfish and ignorant ways of man. With this, it is specifically the power of the selective love of God in the format of the seven virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our body and replace it with the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. So the selective love is called to destroy the power of death and replace it and erect in place of it the power of life. One person who had heard the fact that we should not have tolerant love, he didn't hear pastor before this, he said with astonishment, on what foundation how do you think that we must not have tolerant love, we must love everyone? Well then, love can never in that case destroy the power of death. Only the selective love is called to destroy the power of death in order to then replace it and erect in its place the power of resurrection and life. And talking about these seven virtues, let's remember that talking about the first one, which is a virtue of the selective love of God, we have established that virtue is the origin and source of all good. So, it establishes who is good. It is God. He is the root of all good. Whereas knowledge, this second quality, the selective love of God, is called to give us discerning of what is good and what is bad, or what God views as good and what He views as evil. So again, virtue tells us the source of good, and knowledge allows us, having knowing what is a source of good, knowledge allows us to know what is, what does the source, God, tell us about what is good and what is evil. The third quality, self-control in us, gives us the power to choose what God views as good and reject what He views as evil. The patience of Christ in the selective love of God is founded on the ability to look at what God views as good and await with hope for the fulfillment of what we have seen. The discipline of godliness in the selective love of God is called to keep itself undefiled from what God views as evil and hallow God in our hearts and our souls. The brotherly love in the selective love of God serves as the guide from death to love because we love the brethren and whoever it is not love his brother abides in death. And love, the concluding virtue, love, our coronation or a crown, is the bond of perfection that is inherent to the essence of God. In a certain format, we have already studied the manifestation of the selective love of God in five virtues. And we will begin to study the virtue of the love of God in the sixth characteristics which is brotherly love. It's an interesting topic, and we will take a look at the fact that talking about brotherly love, it means to love brother, to love our brethren, is not to love someone. Um, we're going to talk about who is our neighbor, who is our brother. It's not always those people who contend for this calling to be our neighbor. And Oftentimes, they are not very uh, you know, close to our flesh, but they are very close in spirit. And when I read these truths that Apostle Akardi had offered us, I understood that a person or a brotherly love between two people are people who cannot reach the heights of God's God's magnificent magnificent wonders without one another.
they cannot reach these heights without one another. They can't reach those promises without one another. We do it with the brethren. If it's a person close to us in the flesh, but he is not, in fact, my brother, I should not view him as so. Therefore, talking about brotherly love, we're going to talk about unique people, people who are close to us in spirit and without whom we will be unable to reach the goal and attain the goal. We must know them, understand them, and we must not offend them. We must value them as gold. We must in invest our selective love in them. The selective love of God, discovering itself in brotherly love, can dwell and express itself in the atmosphere of eternal life that we came to through death when we were born from the seed of the word of truth. 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also sought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We're going to talk about these neighbors, these brothers for whom we lay down our lives. They are those people without whom we will reach the goals that have been set for us by God. So let's remember this. Who is my brother? He is the person without whom I will be unable to reach the goals that God has set in place for me. When a person is born from God, he is given the choice to either enter a state of death and become dead to God and unsuitable for any good deed, or enter a state of eternal life that he did not know of before and become fit for all good deeds and demonstrating brotherly love. Each person born of God is placed in the position of Adam in the Garden of Eden, who was offered eternal life in the fruits of the tree of life and eternal death in the fruits of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Being a carnal man, Adam was called to eat from the fruit of the tree of life so that his terrestrial body would transform into a heavenly body. In other words, to rise from the death of Christ in the resurrection of Christ and to represent the Sabbath of the Lord in which God could find His eternal dwelling place and His eternal rest, it was necessary that our heart become an atmosphere for brotherly love. So, unique words. In the Garden of Eden, there was an atmosphere of brotherly love existent. There was an understanding of who is your neighbor and with whom you should not communicate. Devil understood. He just needs to reorient so that Adam and Eve lose their understanding of who their brothers are, whom they must listen to. And as soon as they looked away from the one that was their neighbor from God and they began to listen to the liar, we know what the end of this resulted in. And therefore, before we begin to consider the signs by which we should identify people who are in the category of our brothers for whom we are called to lay down our lives in order to show brotherly love in our faith, we will need to determine the very nature of brotherly love which forms in our hearts the atmosphere of eternal life formed from information coming from the law of God which determines the order of the kingdom of heaven. For example, in Greek, we know that there are four words that define the word love. 
first one. This is love for a friend or for multiple friends. And it is defined by the word filio. Love for relatives by blood is defined by the word storgi. These are all categories that say, um, I'm your brother, I am your neighbor. Third, the husband's love for his wife and vice versa is defined by the word eros. And there's also love present there. And fourth, the love of man for God and God for man, as well as brotherly love, is defined by the word agape. The first three types of love, filio, storgi, and eros, that reveal themselves in the power of flaming human feelings which blind the human mind and subordinate the will of man to themselves. By virtue of this, all these three types of love allow a person to use these three types of love for their own selfish purposes. And proceeding from the revelations of Scripture, the nature of brotherly love, which forms in our hearts the atmosphere of eternal life, is hidden in the love of God agape. And unlike the three types of human love, it is beyond the emotional and rational capabilities that cannot penetrate into the unapproachable light of the fourth dimension in which God dwells. So agape, it does not come from emotional spheres. It, submit, it submits its emotional sphere to its rational sphere. The flaming power of God's love agape, which reveals itself in brotherly love, is hidden in the commandments established by God. Let's take a look where where the love of God agape finds itself, this brotherly love. And again, we will test ourselves. Do we have brotherly love? Someone will say, yes, I love you so much. But no, this is not how our brotherly love is tested. We need two things to test brotherly love in us. John chapter 4, verses 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, as talks talking about love of God agape, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And therefore, based on this scripture, showing God's selective love in brotherly love is possible under two conditions. First, when keeping the commandments of the Lord. So here you go. How is our correct relationship toward one another, agape, demonstrated? We need to know the commandments of God, and then we need to fulfill them. When keeping the commandments of the Lord, which regulate our relations with God and with our brothers in the status of our neighbors, for whom we are called to lay down our lives in order to pass from death to life. And second, as John wrote, when receiving the Holy Spirit in our Lord, in our heart as the Lord and ruler of our life, in His strength and wisdom, abiding in the commandments of the Lord and revealing the contents of God's selective love in the truth that abides in our hearts and the status of the commandments of the Lord. So, brotherly love has these two components, the commandments of God in our heart and the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and ruler of our life. This kind of a person can have brotherly love. Thus, the love of God agape through Thumim and Urim that abides in our hearts reveals itself in the atmosphere of brotherly love which dominates with its power over the emotional element of our human feelings through proclamations of the faith of God abiding in our heart. Proclamations of the faith of the heart control our emotions like a good rider controls his horse. 
So pay attention here. Here we have uh, went through the proclamations. We've talked about how for brotherly love we need the commandments of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit takes these commandments and He begins to use them. How? Brotherly love through our correct proclamation in relation to saints. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Again, we're talking about how to have the perfection of God, the bond of perfection. How do we not sin in the word if people don't know the commandments of God and the Holy Spirit is not the Lord and ruler of their life? How can they? How can they not sin in word? They're always going to sin in word. A person is not a person who's in, who does not sin in word, is, not a per, is a person who knows the commandments of the Lord and the Holy Spirit is his Lord and ruler. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. There can be certain emotions that arise, but we, like a captain, can control them, like a pilot. If the Lord is the ruler of our life, and He will be the Lord and ruler of our life when we have the commandments of the Lord in our heart. To not stumble in a word when demonstrating brotherly love is to speak of our brothers not by the hearing of our ears or the sight of our eyes, but by the truth contained in the atmosphere of God's commandments. This is where we need this. Uh, this this rudder to speak of our brothers not by the hearing of our ears or the sight of our eyes but according to the truth that is contained in the commandments of the Lord as Isaiah had written about this Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist." Based on this prophetic definition, brotherly love is to protect our neighbors from the libel of wicked and lawless people among saints. So this is another level that we've now we're not looking at. We must correctly speak of saints. How do we correctly speak of saints according to Scripture? We need to place the commandments of the Lord in our heart. We need to have the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. Then we need to speak well of saints. And then we need to protect saints with our proclamations, with our words. Proclaim them when we hear some kind of negativity about them. When someone is telling us we must stop this and we must cut the root of this. Take a look at how this all goes in a sequence. And all of this is expressed in brotherly love must protect our brothers from the libel of the wicked and lawless people who are found among saints. And now that we have given a general definition of the discipline of brotherly love, which allows us to move from death to life and determines the atmosphere of eternal life, which we will later examine in detail in relation with each other, we will need to answer four classic questions. First, by what characteristics should we define people who are a part of the category of our brothers for whom we are called to lay down our lives in order to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith? And second, what purpose is the selective love of God called to fulfill in brotherly love toward one another? 
Third, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to demonstrate the selective love of God and brotherly love in our faith? And fourth, by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of brotherly love toward one another in the selective love of God? And again, we must note that we are not talking about those brothers in flesh and blood, but brotherly love among saints. As it is written, let brotherly love continue among you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. And so the first question that we are going to stop at today, by what characteristics should we define people who are part of the category of our brothers for whom we are called to lay down our lives in order to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith? And their pastor is going to list people for whom we must distance ourselves. And not have any communication with. Because these are virus carriers. We must not distance ourselves, though, from the holy children of God. After all, as far as we know, both in, ta in the time of the Law of Moses and in the present time, relating to the Law of Grace, not all who call themselves brothers are recognized as the seed of God. Romans chapter 9, verses 6-8, through 8, Apostle Paul says, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. People say that the Jews out of all the apostles did not like Paul the most. They looked at um, Peter a lot, but Paul had the lowest rating among uh, the Jews. When you read this, of course all this theory will go down the drain. For not all all Israel, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. So it's not the flesh that are all children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Scripture says, He said to Abraham specifically, only in Isaac your seed shall be called. You have many children, but Abraham, only in Isaac will your seed be called. Only God's chosen remnant in this midst, only among these people will be our brothers to whom we must demonstrate a brotherly love. Therefore, people today say we must love everyone. Well, Scripture tells us through Apostle Paul, in Isaac, only in Isaac your seed shall be called. When it comes to the seed under which, first of all, we mean the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in which we receive the legal right to be called brothers to each other, then as we will see later, that all saints are included in the category of this seed, whether they are male or female. So here we must understand that we must have, we not have boundaries in this case. We can't say all Christians are my brothers. No, only those who are the seed of Abraham. But in the seed of Abraham, excuse me, the seed of Isaac, there, there is among these of Isaac's seed, any, any gender, social status, and so forth, all of them are counted in this seed. Therefore, we all, regardless of our age, social position, and gender, are called to show love for each other, and above all, through the words coming from the heart, which are the seed, and classify us as a male. So, Scripture talks about brotherly love. And now, 
love towards the brethren. It's not just to have love to those that wear pants, but those that have the seed of the Word of God. Because each time, or whenever we fertilize ourselves with the seed of the preached Word about the Kingdom of Heaven, we all, without exception, fulfill the function of a female, by virtue of which the Scripture calls us all the daughter of Zion, or the wife of the Lamb. But whenever we confess with our lips the faith of God that is in our hearts, we all, without exception, fulfill the function of a male. And Scripture has told us, have brotherly love, have special love towards those people who has the revelation and seed in, who, in which we dwell. They must especially be loved, brotherly love. Who is my brother? The one who has the word, the one who has the seed, that person without whom I will be unable to reach those heights and those goals that God has established for me. That church without whom I will be unable to reach these goals, that teaching without which I will not be able to reach these goals, those truths and those promises without which I will be unable to see the Lord in the air. I will meet Him only when there will be a certain order and in our bodies will reign the resurrection of Christ. But these truths we must know. Someone must pass this the seed along to us. And therefore, the term brotherly love includes all saints regardless of our status, our age, and regardless of our gender. As written, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So pay attention here. Here he says the Abraham's seed, and he says that all those, doesn't matter, uh, slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, but when it's talking about, when it's talking about specifically about brotherly love, then he draws a line here in Isaac. Apostle Paul draws a line in in Isaac. So only God's chosen remnants, only those who are part of this category, despite their age, their social position, their gender, they must be loved. Here he expands on this truth. But people do the opposite. They, with respect, look at those people who are of the male gender and they act toward women um, poorly. No, we must love selectively. But if a male and female, rich or poor, Jews or Greeks are a part of the chosen remnants, they must all be loved. All who are in this category of God's chosen remnants. People have changed their priorities. There, where they have to love everyone, they selectively love. And there, where they need to selectively love, they say, we need to love everyone. How strange. They completely flip-flop in this. And so the question is, what status and dignity in Scripture is given to a brother in Christ Jesus to whom we must show the love of God in order to pass from death to life? The dignity with which a brother in Christ is endowed in Scripture is determined by the dignity of the neighbor. When Scripture speaks of brotherly love, it means the love that we are called to show to our brother in the dignity of our neighbor. Thus, we should provide a complete definition for who can be called our brother in Christ Jesus in the dignity of our neighbor. 
And so the first sign, there are seven signs that Pastor had offered to us. The first sign, defining our brother in Christ in the dignity of our neighbor. He will discover itself in the love in our love toward our Lord, as well as those people who are the messengers of God and represent the Father Fatherhood of God for us. Matthew chapter twelve, verse fifteen. Who for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my neighbor, my brother and sister and mother. At one time, the Son of God represented the fatherhood of God on earth in the status of the Son of Man and was a neighbor for every person who fulfilled the truth coming from His mouth. At His resurrection, Jesus, our neighbor, transferred this mandate to His apostles, whom He chose to represent His interests for every person who went from Jerusalem to Jericho. What does it mean to go from Jerusalem to Jericho? We know that from in Jerusalem we receive this seed in the format of justification, and we then go to Jericho in order to receive it in the format of the fruit of the righteousness of God. Absolutely. And here, when a person places this goal, and here's this truth, that he must go from the format of justification to grow the seed of the righteousness of God into the fruit of righteousness, then he will uh, meet, he will come across this event that is written in Luke chapter 10, verses 30-37, this next parable. So these people need neighbors, their neighbors, their brothers, those people who have placed the, uh, them go from the format of Jerusalem to Jericho and to bring the fruit of the righteousness of God, they will find themselves in this event. And their neighbor will will be necessary for them. By answering the question, Who is my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he went from justification to righteousness, I'm explaining how Brother Akkadi explained it to us. So, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. So again, um, take take for yourselves, in this parable, uh, this represents Christ. This donkey. He set him on his own animal. It's interesting how unique the Lord presents these symbols. And he set him on his own animal, his donkey, brought him to an inn. Sometimes we worry. God presents himself in these interesting images. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? A Jew couldn't say Samaritan because this was a devout word for him. He said the one who showed mercy on him 
instead of saying the Samaritan. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You will go and be a Samaritan. And therefore, under the image of the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, who was an Israelite, one can see the category of saints who have been justified in Jerusalem, but in order to affirm the existing justification, this category in the face of this person went from Jerusalem to Jericho, the city of palm trees, of which is said, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, they shall be fresh and flourishing, to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Under the image of the thieves, who wounded the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, in order to affirm his justification, we see our corrupt lusts behind which there is reigning sin in the face of our old man, in the face of the old man, in the face of the old man, again, not our old man, because we have a new man. So I retract my words. So, the old man. David, in one of his psalms, states this situation as follows. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Apostle Paul described his condition in the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, saying, For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Again, this man, Apostle Paul, was was, um, was very wounded. This man was very wounded. Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 24. Under the image of the priest and the Levite who walked the same road, came, looked, and walked past, we discover service in our body to the deadly letter in the status of the law of Moses. So service to the law of Moses, which reveals in our body the presence of sin inherited from the seed of the vain life of our fathers. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. So, the priest and the Levite, always walking, we must understand that as soon as we made a goal, to go from justification to righteousness, as soon as we made the goal to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, along this road go the Levite and the priest back and forth, back and forth. And thanks to the fact that go back and right, back and forth on this road, there will always be thieves there. Why? Because the law gives power to sin. The Levite and priest give power to sin, give power to the thieves. But there is also the Samaritan that walks along that road. Under the image of the Samaritan, we see our neighbor in the face of Jesus Christ and those people who are his messengers, who make the same journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, as written, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So again, the Samaritan also journeyed. This is that Samaritan of which Jesus said, I am leaving, but I am sending my body, my blood, and my cross, the sermon about the blood of Christ and about the cross of Christ. And you are going to, with this word, take saints and, and aid them. So this Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. So we have along this road thieves, priests, 
Levites and the Samaritan, that holy person, our neighbor, who along with us is going to move forth. We can accept this truth, but we must understand that this truth we can accept along with our neighbors. We go in with them. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Under the image of the donkey, on which the Samaritan brought a man beaten by thieves to an inn, we of course see the body of Christ, by whom he bore our sins on the cross so that we, free from sins, could live for righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So without his body, without this donkey, we will be unable to attain this. Take a look at how many important components there are. There is the body of Christ. There is a person who has the uh, authority to represent the revelation of Christ, his blood and his cross. There we have the Levite and priest, the law of Moses. There are the thieves. And then there are us who have placed the goal and who have made several steps, had fallen and had found themselves half alive. It's impossible to to reach these goals without the Samaritan. Under the image of oil and wine, again, a very important component, we see the oil of grace of God and the doctrine of justification, which destroys the handwriting or the letter of condemnation that was against us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Let's take a look at where we see this oil in this wine. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ that can, um, that can heal our wounds. The law of Moses... It's it's impossible to use the law of Moses to heal our wounds, but with this oil, it is possible, and with salt. So when a child cuts himself or scrapes his knee, we don't take salt and say, let me pour salt over this. No, we give oil. We, we cover him with oil so that his pain can go away and so there is no infection there. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the death, and you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. This having wiped out the handwriting, this is that oil and that wine, that teaching, the teaching that is not going to resist the Torah. This is what how this is the unique aspect of it. Not just the teaching about faith, about healing, about casting out of demons, about prosperity. No. This is this is not the teaching. The teaching cannot be in the format of these things. It cannot be a brochure. This brochure cannot be a format of oil and wine. Only the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh that completely satisfies the Holy Torah of God, completely satisfies it. This is the teaching. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, 
This handwriting of requirements is always against us. It bows down before the teaching of Christ. This is like those two tablets that laid at the ark. Pastor showed these, these tablets, and God places next to them the staff of Aaron along with the manna, the teaching. And these two things laid aside one another, and they were covered with the cherubims of God, the mysteries of God. How can you play in the ark things that are completely opposite of one another? The teaching of condemnation and the teaching of justification. Ten commandments, the strictness of God, along with them. How do you place the resurrection of Christ next to them with the manna, the teaching of Christ? And this swallows the other. I take this right now. I remember remembering all those truths that I have heard. I am not prepared for this. I have along with you. I'm sitting here with you together. When I read, this is how I'm prepared. When I'm reading this, I remind myself of all these truths that were given to us from the from Pastor. I remember all this. I read it, reread it, and then I remember, remember. When I pray, I remember that word that I have placed in my heart. It is there. And it is then born and it comes again, but we must place it there in the first place. And therefore, the image of the inn in which the man beaten by thieves representing his corrupt lust inflamed by the old man was brought by the Samaritan before his return refers to Christ's return for his bride in the darkness of pre-dawn. It's the church that waits for the return of Christ in the darkness of pre-dawn. This is where we must be placed in this inn. Take a look, this is also a very important component. Only that church, God's chosen remnant, that waits for the return of Christ at the darkness of pre-dawn. John chapter 14, verses 1-3, through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And again, I have also remembered something Pastor has said. Pastor said that when we think that God is going to come here and take us, um, take us so we can be there where He is. But He says that before taking us, He will bring us there where He was. He will bring us to His inn. We are never going to be taken there where He is in heaven if we are not going to be taken placed in this inn, that place, that church that God prepares so in order to heal us and to restore us. The image of the innkeeper is an image of the Holy Spirit who will dwell with us forever. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. According to these words, the love, love toward our Lord as to our neighbor is called to be determined by the fulfillment of the commandments of the Lord, which we can comprehend through the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. The word about the kingdom of heaven is comprised of the fact that we, by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, abiding in our spirit, free our bodies from the law of sin and death. In other words, the kingdom of heaven which has come to our heart in the power of the Holy Spirit through the seed of the word preached to us is called to destroy in our body the power of death in order to erect in its place the power of the resurrection of Christ. 
provided that we will have a heart cleansed of dead works and that the seed of the kingdom of heaven, through our renewed thinking in conjunction with our pure lips, will be placed in our pure heart, which will allow us to call our inexistent in the physical dimension heavenly body as existent. And as far as we know, the destruction of the power of death in our body is called to happen by taking off the old man with his works, by confessing the faith of God that dwells in our heart. Again, that dwells in our heart. In the process of taking off the old man with his deeds, we die to our people, the house of our Father, and to our carnal desires. And the exaltation of the power of the resurrection of Christ in our body is called to happen through the cooperation of our thinking, renewed by the spirit of our mind, with the clean lips with which we are called to clothe our body in a new person created by God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth. Uh, what did I um, highlight? So, taking off the old man happens through the proclamation of those words that were placed in our heart, as well as being clothed into the new man, occurs again through the proclamation of our lips of those words that we have placed in our hearts. And this kind of process involves a confession of the format of the faith of God which resides in our heart and which we call the non-existent as existent. According to the words of Jesus Christ, only with the words of the faith of the heart can we take off the old man with his works. Only with the words of the faith of God, only with our proclamations, can we take off the old man with his works and put on a new man to show love to our neighbor in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Summing up, or to summarize this component, this component tells us that we can become neighbors for Christ and Christ for us under one condition. If we go from Jerusalem to Jericho by the same road along which from Jerusalem to Jericho Christ goes to affirm our justification in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. That was the first sign. Now, the second sign that defines our brother in Christ and the dignity of our neighbor discovers itself in our inmost man, who without help from our rational and volitional capabilities cannot be healed from the wounds brought by thieves to be partaking to the body of Christ. Very interesting component. Now, this this neighbor is in us. Now, we see our inmost man, our spirit, and our soul. These are our neighbors. The Spirit cannot achieve the heights of God if our soul as our neighbor helps Him through our renewed thinking and through the proclamation. So here we have our soul and our body. All of these components all together are very important components for our spirit because without them, our spirit cannot achieve certain goals. He needs our neighbor in the face of our soul, in the face of our lips. Let's read, this neighbor is already not here in church, but he is found now inside of us. Romans chapter 10, verses 8-10, through 10, The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If the word of justification in our mouth does not cooperate with the word of justification in our heart, our salvation, which we received by grace through redemption in Christ Jesus, will be lost, and our names will be erased from the book of life, although in time they were inscribed in it. Take a look how important it is for our lips and our heart for them to be neighbors between one another so that we do not uh, say idle words. Idle words are those words that are not in our heart. Maybe I read them, maybe I heard them, maybe I take them, but they're not the contents of my heart. And therefore, they cannot bring any kind of result. Therefore, neighbors for our innermost man or our spirit are our pure lips, without cooperation with which our inmost person our spirit, cannot be healed of his wounds and be partaking to the body of Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 5-13 through 13, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Here we see the prayer of Apostle Paul, where he prays and he proclaims and sees the cooperation with how he proclaims the word of God. And his lips were neighbors to his innermost man, his thinking, his mind, his soul was very close to his heart, his spirit. It's very important so that we do not have this kind of war inside so that we first and foremost come to a certain unity so that our soul knows its place because our spirit d- depends on our soul. It doesn't necessarily depend on it, but it needs it. Needs it. The soul depends on the spirit, and the spirit needs the soul. And when the spirit goes through contrition, here we need to have the soul to understand. A pastor said on Sunday, the soul must know that when the when the spirit will bring fruit, then it can be magnified by this. When the spirit is contrite, the soul must know that it must also be in this contrite state. It's very important, the spirit and the soul. When the spirit offers fruit, then the soul has a kind of opportunity. We have a soul. It begins to be prideful of certain achievements, but we can't have this. In order to keep the status between my spirit and my soul, it's necessary to look at how Pastor said, we must look at the root. Look at the root. Don't look at your victories, because today there might be a victory, tomorrow there'll be a tragedy. Look at the fruit. Um, Don't look at the fruit. Don't look at your achievements. Look at the root. It has already reached heights, do not turn away from it. Don't look at your achievements. This is going to be death unto you. For example, you get up to a height, they say, don't look down because you'll fall. But God has this. When you go up very, very high, He says, don't look there. Don't look at your achievements. You're going to fall. You're going to you're going to break. You're going to think that you are better than others. You must understand that someone someone bound my wounds, someone paid for me, someone took me to the inn, someone put me on this donkey, and someone healed me. And that's why it's very important for us to have this understanding between our soul and spirit. The soul must know, we must speak with it so that it does not violate its relations with its inmost man, with the spirit. It must be in a close relationship with our inmost man. 
All this is written in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. The third sign, defining our brother in Christ and the dignity of our neighbor, discovers itself in those saints with whom we come into contact with in our congregation. Take a look. We must not distance ourselves from them. I don't think our saints distance themselves. People are hugging me and saying hello. I don't I don't think that there's distance among us. <laughs> Why would I t- then take my suit to the dry cleaners? This is like a great reward I'm wearing. Under saints in the church, we look, or we were referring to the category of saints who are chosen out of the many who are called to salvation and who have died to their nation, the house of their father, and their corrupt desires, which made them holy through their total sanctification and separation in order to totally dedicate themselves to God. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christ loves only the category of people who are chosen out of the many who are called. Jesus specifically calls the chosen his brothers. A question arises, by which signs should we define a neighbor in our congregation for whom we could lay down our lives in order to pass from death to life? The answer is very simple. A neighbor is, as a person dedicated to God, will constantly incite hostility in his way of life on the part of the category of those who are called and will be subject to their libel and neglect, and therefore he will need the help of saints who, like him, have dedicated themselves to God. This is our neighbor. Very interesting. Before this, we talked about how these neighbors, they will help us, they will find us, they are going to um, bind our wounds and with oil and wine. But here, it turns out that they are Samaritans, that... They are viewed as unclean by others and that there is a cascade of libel and and gossip against them. They then are in need of us. We don't just need them. They are now in need of us. How pleasant is this when someone needs you? You feel so important and so dignified. On one end, the category of those who are called not chosen, but called, who are found among saints, will use the material help of the chosen, but will not share in her needs. They will not have any compassion in their needs. On the other hand, the category of those who are called will not serve the chosen, but will always use them for their own selfish interests. And if in the time of the law of Moses, the people of God were called to love their neighbor as themselves, then in the time of the law of grace, we are called to love each other as Christ loved us, that is, to lay down our lives for one another and not to use one another for our selfish goals. There are many kinds of selfish goals that exist. Many different ways a person can use another person for his own selfish ways. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16-18 through 18, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
At the same time, it should be noted that pastors who have not died to their nation, their father's house, and their corrupt desires are mercenaries pursuing personal gain from self-interest who cannot be our neighbors to serve us as healing because the vessels of their hearts that are not cleansed of dead works cannot be carriers of the revelations of the Most High. Of course, they cannot be our neighbors. They can't do anything for us, but they, out of selfishness, want our help. The neighbor is the one who needs in um, cooperate, who has need of cooperation, one helping the other. These mercenaries, they can't help others because they have no oil, they have no wine. They were never on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They are not even familiar with this road. They don't know where the inn is. They don't know. But they call themselves neighbors, wanting selfishly for people to somehow serve them, calling them brothers and sisters and so forth. But they are not our neighbors. A neighbor is one who can, along with me, reach the heights of God in whom I can serve with that gift, that blessing, that talent, that success that God has given me in Christ Jesus. This is a relationship between between neighbors. Christ doesn't just need our service, He serves us, but He also waits for service from us. That's why our neighbors, neighbors are who I am in need of and who are in need of me. The fourth sign that defines our brother in Christ and the dignity of our neighbor discovers itself in those parents who have accepted the truth and abide in the order that is the atmosphere of the body of Christ. So if our parents resist the truth and order that abides in the body of Christ, they cannot be found in the Lord. And therefore, these parents cannot be our neighbors to whom we must demonstrate the love of Christ. If our parents, by blood, accept the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ and follow its ways, then we must act toward them like neighbors. If, on the contrary, our parents, by blood, reject and destroy the truth of the reigning teaching revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through the preached word of the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us, then these parents are viewed by Scripture as dead to God. And then, according to the words of Christ, we must follow the paths of truth and let the dead bury those parents who are dead in Christ. Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 22, and he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, to, to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer these things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. Jesus said, Follow me. He had many problems in our civilized democratic world. He said, uh, this, this disciple said, can I go to the burial of my parents? He said, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. And let the dead bury the dead. There are very many of them. Let the dead bury the dead. They are in need of you, and you are not in need of them. They can, lead, can they lead you to the goals of God? No. Can you help them? No. How can you help them? 
How are you going to be able to help them? How? I do not have wisdom or patience as the Holy Spirit has. How can I help them? And those parents who are in the church, who are in the order of God, we must not neglect them and say that this is a clan or I don't talk to my relatives, I hate clans. This isn't a clan. In this church, there are no clans. It's impossible for this church to have clans. It's impossible. Therefore, all children must 100% love their parents that are found in this church. The category, I'm not talking about others. And all parents must bless and love their children. They are neighbors. They are those who listen and love the truth. Because sometimes people go and and saints in the church and they say, I destroy these clans, I'm against these clans. No, this is not right. All this is incorrect. This simply talks about uh, a carnal, speaks of a carnal nature. The fifth sign defining our brother in Christ and the identity of our neighbor discovers itself in our children who, according to our relationship to the commandments of God, can either bless us or dishonor us. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 11-12 through 12. David is presented to us as an example for whom his son uh, Absalom was close. Thus says the Lord to David, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, his, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. This prophecy was addressed to David, who, having sinned against God, restored against himself one of his sons, Absalom, who, in the status of the fruit of David, was called to be a neighbor for David to bless him and not dishonor him. However, the sin of David irritated his son Absalom and others, but specifically his Absalom. And instead of blessing David, he began to dishonor him. But when David repented, then God restored him to the status of a neighbor for his children. And then another son of David, Solomon, became a blessing to David. When we lead a wrong lifestyle, our children are provoked, discouraged, and they can serve as dishonor for us. Do we need to punish discipline our church? We need to. How many times have you disciplined your son? Will this belt take this belt and discipline yourself 1,000 times more? How we act towards our sons, 1,000 times do it to yourself because your son will either bless you or dishonor you. He is your neighbor. He's your mirror. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Discouraged? Father, my father beat me, but he himself lives like Satan lives, some children say. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord.
Before we punish our, or discipline our children, we must turn it to ourselves. I am not against it, but I want to teach myself a little differently. Here is the word. I listen to the word. I accept the word. I proclaim the word. I try to live according to the word. Do not let it get to a point where you hit yourself with the bell. The sixth sign that defines our brother in Christ and the dignity of our neighbor discovers itself in the blind strangers, fatherless, and widows. Deuteronomy 27, 18, and 19. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. According to this passage, these four signs and dignities define our neighbor. So figuratively, blindness, defining the dignity of our neighbor and distinguishing him from the category of the called, is a sign of trust in God in which a person follows the paths of righteousness toward the adoption of his body through the redemption of Christ. With regard to blindness, the Lord, through those who represent him as neighbor, will go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war, will cry out, and will show himself as strong among the enemies of his neighbors. For whom? For the neighbors, for the blind. It's a very important category to be blind in Christ Jesus. What is blindness? A blind, blind, someone who is blind is a person who is in need for someone to fall, to lead him. He can, he can't become, it's impossible to become an orphan, a foreigner. It's impossible to become a widow if, if we are not blind because someone must take me by the hand and teach me the commandments of the Lord, how to become a foreigner, a widow, and an orphan. Therefore, these four components, we look at them together. And blindness is the first component. It's a very important component without which the other three components will not be comprehended by us. Isaiah 42, 13 through 20. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. Again, all of this is done to to lead the blind? Yes, I did this to lead the blind along that road which they do not know. Along unknown ways I will lead them. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. For who is all this, Lord? For the blind. For the blind who are in need of a person who is going to lead them from Jerusalem to Jericho. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back, they shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, You are our gods. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Here it talks about how these blind and these deaf um, so that they may see who was blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I sent who is blind as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant seeing many things but you do not observe opening the ears he does not hear uh, status of a stranger a neighbor defining the dignity of our neighbor and distinguishing him from the category of the called 
is a sign that this person has died to his nation in order to become a part of God's chosen remnant and inherit the promise given to him in the adoption of his body through the redemption of Christ. So he must be a stranger. The sign of a neighbor in the dignity of the fatherless, distinguishing him from the category of the blind, is a sign that this person died to the house of his father in order to inherit the adoption of his body through the redemption of Christ. And the sign of a neighbor in the dignity of widow, distinguishing him is a sign that this person died to reigning sin in his body who represented in his body the role of a husband in the corrupt desires of his flesh and lusts in order to inherit adoption for his body through the redemption of Christ. And the seventh sign, seventh sign defining our brother in Christ, the last one and then we will pray. This sign defining our brother in Christ discovers itself in the category of people who dwell in the tabernacle of God on the holy hill of God. Psalms chapter 15 verses 1 through 3. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. There is an exception to this rule. As soon as our neighbors, again, sometimes I read very quickly, but I would like to concentrate on this specifically because we talked about neighbors a lot and we have um, come upon this height. But there's an exception to this rule that we must always remember. Let's listen to it. This is a rule, an exception to this rule. Very important. As soon as our neighbors retreat from God and begin to serve other gods, they lose their place and dignity in our hearts to be called our neighbors. Other gods, the people who lose the status of a neighbor begin to serve a self-willed service in which they deny the order of God. And instead of looking for God as the blesser, the anointing one and the giver, they begin to search for blessings, anointing and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And thus, they are transformed into wicked and lawless people with whom we must break off all relationships and move away from. Take a look. The wicked will never be able to become our neighbor, but a neighbor can become a lawless and wicked person. And this all begins when a person, as Pastor said on Sunday, when he does not look at the root, when he looks at the fruit, his achievements, his own victories, this is the first step into the pit. Exodus chapter 32, verses 26 to 29. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him, and he said to them, Thus is the Lord God of Israel. Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Every man, his neighbor, or rather, the person who had lost status of a neighbor, kill him. So the son of, sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. The Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. 
When we break off our relationship with people who resisted the order in the body of Christ and went out from us, reproaching us and twisting the teaching of truth, calling the waste from their mind a different kind of gospel, we dedicate our hands to the Lord. At this word we can say, Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great privilege that you have allowed us to return upon this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that you dwell in this place and that you have not left us. You have relocated to that place where we, for a year, had gathered and listened to your word and ate from ate of your bread and that meat, waited for that, listened to that promise. We thank you that you have allowed us to submit to your word and to see that which you have placed in your divine work. Allow us today to have an open ear and to hear that which you say to the churches. We thank you, Lord, that today we see you. We do not see Masons, nor Satanists, nor lawless people, nor wicked people with their actions and intentions and so forth. We see you because, Lord, we, are con we have concentrated our thinking, our eyes on you because you, Lord, are our neighbor. You are our brother. And therefore, we thank you that you have allowed us during these end days to be anointed with your oil, your, your oil and your wine. We thank you that today the wounds of saints are an, they're anointed. You have placed us in your, in your inn until the time that you have established. And we, be, we continue to affirm your truth and we continue to wait for you upon that place, that place upon which you have placed a mark to your holy name. We thank you, Lord, and we bless out of this holy, holy place all of those who are our neighbors. We bless you, Lord, out of your holy temple because you, first and foremost, are our neighbor. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and his body. We thank Thank you for the word of God, for the teaching of Christ, for the word about the cross and the, uh, the blood and the cross of Christ. We thank you for your oil and for your wine. We thank you for that Samaritan that is going to be able to lift us up and to, to cover our, our wounds. We thank you for those saints in whom we have a need of and who are always in need of us. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed this truth to us and that we are in need of one another and that our neighbors is one whom we have needed in order to achieve your goals and who is in need of us in order to achieve those same goals. And therefore, being found in this place, we bless out of your holy temple our saints 
Our saints whom you have established as the head of this congregation, Brother Arkady and our sister Tamara, we bless them. You have given them to us and the status of our neighbors. And we want to, from our end, want to serve them because they are also in need of us. They are in need of each holy person, each holy saint who is a part of the chosen remnant of God. May they be blessed. And may your spirit, the spirit of wisdom and counsel, guidance, may it, may it dwell upon them. May they be blessed before your holy countenance. And may your forever mark, be eternal mark be upon them. We thank you for this comfort, for that word, that revelation that you give to us through our pastor. We ask you, Lord, for that word that you have given to him, for us to be able to accept it and to keep it in our vessel. We place into our vessel only that word that we accept in the format of your as your disciples. We cannot place into the vessel that word that we understand and that we know. But we place in the vessel of our heart only that word through the person whom we have accepted that God is speaking through him and that word that he is speaking it is never going to be a stumbling block for us it is placed in our heart in meekness and humility until the time that God has established and I thank you Lord that there will come the time established and appointed by you when you will give the decree to take that word that is found in our vessels and to fill our lamps with it. And this will not be that word that we hear. This, this was that word that was once heard, placed in our hearts, and that word that was placed in our hearts, by, according to that word, you will allow before your coming to fill our burning lamp. Thank you, Lord that our vessel is filled with your oil. We ask you, Lord, for the neighbor, for our neighbor, in the face of our soul, could cooperate with our neighbor in the face of our spirit and for us to be able to look upon the root and not pay attention to the achievements and to the fruits and our victories so that we cannot, we do not fall and so that we are not transformed to the wicked and lawless. Allow us, Lord, to keep the status as a neighbor in meekness, in humility, and in discipleship because it's possible to fall from any kind of height and we are keeping ourselves to this to the manifestation of this great promise that is called to be revealed we wait for it we wait for it because all the times are in your authority but we define according to your your sign we look Lord at the fig tree and all, at all the other trees how they flourish this shows us, Lord, that we have come very close and having come so close to the revelations of this great promise, we again and again place ourselves in great humility and great trembling before your holy countenance, understanding and recognizing the importance of this end time so that you can allow us 
to keep that word over which your messengers labored over, placing our hearts in it, renewing our thinking and proclaiming it with our lips. We prepare our hearts and in our hearts there is a place in order to accept your revelation and we thank you for that revelation that you have prepared for us on Friday and on Sunday and we're going to prepare our vessels in order to accept this oil and we thank you from this holy temple our our mighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, for deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.